My name is Ted Kopick. I'm from Westminster Church in the Presbytery of Des Moines, and I live in West Des Moines, Iowa. Uh, and I got involved with More Light, Covenant Network, and That Only Freely Serve about 15 years ago um, when I was at a presbytery meeting and Reverend Mike Smith from Grinnell and his wife Sylvia were part of <clears throat> More Light Presbyterians and Mike and I had worked together on presenting overtures and change to the presbytery. And he was retiring, moving to Tucson, Arizona. And at the last presbytery meeting we worked together, he walked up to me and said, it's all yours, baby. And uh, so from that point on, uh, I was the point person in our presbytery relative to topics of justice for all people. So that's how I got started. Say, uh, give some reflections over time um, from that chair. Um, just a narrative from what I just said reflections of what was happening and what you know and what you had to to uh, encounter what was happening in our presbytery which has always voted in favor of almost every one of the inclusivity overtures and authority of interpretations uh, was that through Mike's work in bringing those items for approval uh, as I took over I I really was fortunate to not have to start from ground zero and I uh, th with Mike's help and Sylvia I communicated regularly personally with them and still do I just uh, finished a conversation with Sylvia on the text message but in any case, uh, what was going on was that uh, I had a daughter who uh, was married in our church and ultimately divorced and developed a relationship with a same-gender person. And so this became not because of her, but it made my wife and I more aware of the fact that we had everything over in a closet somewhere, pardon the pun, and we didn't have to deal with it until our daughter came out to us 25 years ago. And uh, so when Mike asked me to, to do the work with our presbytery primarily, uh, it was kind of exciting for me because it gave me something there was a reason why I was doing it, because my daughter was baptized in our church and the usual traditional uh, vows of the parents and the congregation to assist that child in their faith journey in the future. Uh, at the same time all this was happening, I was elected a, a elder in the church and they gave me a book of order, which I read, a lot of people don't. And I got to G60106B and found out that if my daughter wanted to be involved in the governance of the church, 
that she would have a tough time doing it based on that information. And so I decided that what Mike asked me to do needed to be a important part of my future personally. So that was really what was going on with our presbytery. Our presbytery always had vigorously argued the pros and cons of making changes, but they always voted on the issues that were presented uh, in favor of them by about a 60% plus margin. So uh, it's not that I was handed a piece of cake that was very flavorful and easy to deal with, but uh, uh, it remained that way over time, and but I had to be prepared to do a little different type of approach when people from the presbytery uh, members presented arguments against doing what I was bringing to them. And so uh, I enjoyed doing that. I enjoyed it uh, in looking at the the Bible and, and what it says and the background of information before and after the passages that are always used to talk about uh, discrimination. Uh, it was interesting to me to be encouraged to do more than just look at six verses in the Bible. And so uh, that was my journey um, as we moved forward, I became more and more involved with the organizations such as More Light Presbyterians and Covenant Network and that all may freely serve. And uh, our church began a inclusivity group uh, called the Gay Lesbian Straight Affirmation Group. We were authorized as a small group support ourselves and bring ideas to the church, uh, educational, informational, and uh, I'm co-chair of that group and have been for years. And uh, every person in this meeting from the start of this movement to currently has been at our church doing workshops for the entire faith community in Des Moines, not our church. And um, so it's very interesting. When we had Chris Glosser and we had Janie Sparr, we anticipated inviting people uh, by various methods and we thought, well, wow, if we have a crowd of 30 people for this workshop, it's gonna be really good. Well, both of those two individuals, we had excess of 100 people from 14 different faith traditions. Mm -hmm. And it was just marvelous. And uh, we also had Jack Rogers after he found his journey to be different than it was at first, when he was definitely not in favor of the things that have happened over the last few years. Uh, and he completely changed around and we had him come for a workshop also. So that's kind of what's happened from then to now. And uh, I was fortunate to be very involved in the, the marriage amendment that just uh, has successfully gained enough votes to become uh, polity. And 
the authority of interpretation in the little humble state of Iowa that raises corn and pigs, and uh, we were the third state to have marriage equality. And so the authority of interpretation allowed pastors and, and uh, churches to host same-gender weddings, not just civil ceremonies. Uh, and that allowed them to do that if they so choose. And they interviewed a couple that was meant to be married and not uh, just there for the show. Uh, they could host those without being called before the Judicial Commission of the Presbyterian Church. And that was a big step that became effective June 21st of last year because it was not something that had to be voted on by 173 presbyteries uh, and have a majority. It became effective immediately. The interesting thing to me is uh, I've been on both sides of issues in the Iowa legislature also, and our teams of people have been very successful there in, in adding sexual orientation and gender identity to the Civil Rights Code and the State Board of Education bullying bill. And back in 07, they became law. And we recently was able to get the legislator to legislature to decriminalize uh, AIDS cases that came to the court where before, regardless of the severity of the AIDS case, if someone was found guilty, it was an automatic 25-year sentence regardless of the circumstances. And we got that changed so that it could be adjudicated based on the same basis and the penalty, if any, could be based on the circumstances of each case as opposed to just automatic 25 years. What year is that? That happened this spring. This spring. This year. So that law is still in place. What law? That you, that the, um, you were, if you had... No, the law was 25 years mandatory is no longer on the books. Okay, that's okay. Uh, because we succeeded in, uh, they called it decriminalization. So what year did that, I was looking That at happened you. this year. So the decriminalization just happened this year? Yes, now we've been working on it for a long time. So that law, that law had been, was on the books until that moment that you're speaking about. Wow. Yes. Wow. And uh, so uh, several of the notable people relative to this type of meeting we've had over the years that came and spoke about AIDS, uh, some of them came and testified in the Iowa legislature, and uh, it was very effective. We, we have a, a statewide organization for all inclusivity, not just gender and sex, that's called One Iowa. And it's now one of the largest organizations in the United States that is advocates for equality for all people. And uh, it was the same group of 20, 25 people that we started with back. And we formed that organization so we could have better organization, have some funding to do some important things, and uh, formed a 501c3 rather than just a bunch of individuals rocking walk on the walk so so from your perspective looking 
forward, what do you see in this in this movement and and, and for your your place as an ally? Because of my familiarity with my particular church, which uh, has about 1,200 members. When I was a kid going there in high school, we had 3,500 members. But the, the good part of it is that our church is made up of about 40 to 50% of the people that tend to be progressive, tend to be open-minded, uh, and they've learned to to be that way, but uh, there's 50% of our congregation that is would vote no on any of these issues if they had a chance to. Uh, and they do it for all what they think is the right reasons. And so what concerns me about the future is that we, as we've gone forward in this movement up, and we're not done, but we've been successful in making some changes. So now we're in charge, in a sense, and the people that have always opposed it, they are on the outside looking in. And my concern is how do we make the church welcoming to everybody's opinion? That's the big thing for me. Now this particular group is comprised largely of uh, people that want to be or are ordained teaching elders or ministers of the Word and Sacrament uh, and have had that struggle for years. But the same struggle has existed for ordinary members of the church that get suggested or nominated to be a deacon or an elder, which has to be an ordained position also. I have a story related to that, if you want me to say it. <clears throat> we have, a, uh, the individual I'm going to talk about has since passed away just recently, but he and his partner in their 60s have been members of our church for a long time. And Terry, in particular, Harris was his name, is the epitome of what you might think a deacon in a church is. He did nothing but minister to people, call on people in hospitals, deliver meals, uh, everything that a deacon is charged with doing. But he was not a deacon. He, In my mind, he was a deacon. Mm -hmm. Before the ordination standards became law in our church that uh, that it was not limited to a man or a woman living in the fidelity of the bond of marriage or chastity and singleness. I nominated Terry to be a deacon in our church before it was passed by the National Assembly. He went through the process with full disclosure and everybody knew Terry, everybody in the church, even the ones that would never vote yes. And we got to the congregational meeting and uh, a gentleman who was more in the age of my father, if he was still living, hobbled up to the congregational microphone to question our nominations and said, have you assured yourselves that everyone is uniquely qualified for the position you're suggesting? 
And uh, I nodded to Roxanne Neri next to me. I said, say yes. She was the chair. Well, we thought he was going to go sit down, but he didn't. And he stayed at the microphone and asked for the floor. And that's when I looked at Roxanne. I said, I don't know where we're going from here. And he said, when he got the floor, he said, if you have assured yourself that they're all qualified uniquely for their position, I move we elect them by acclamation. I about fell off my chair. I went to talk to John afterwards and I said to him, I, I'm sorry, but I just need to know where that statement came from in your thinking. He said, Ted, I don't agree with the direction you're going. I don't know if I ever can. But anybody that tells me that Terry Harris can't be a deacon is wrong. So here's a guy that was my adversary on issues that knew Terry as a person and a friend. And he just said, nobody can tell me that he can't be a deacon because he's a deacon's deacon. Uh, so that, that was a story that, uh, I mean, I, it took me a while to go home and just think about what happened. But uh, that's kind of what keeps me going. And then after we had marriage in Iowa, I had um, a friend, Jay McKell, who's been on the board of Covenant Network, and he lives in Overland Park, Kansas. And uh, one of the female pastors we had went to a church in Overland Park, Kansas, and she called me and she said, I have two friends that want to get married and they want to come to Iowa to get married, two women that were members of the church. And would you help them find a pastor and a place to have the marriage? So Mary and I were the wedding coordinators. But the message that I got after it was all over is my friend Jay McKell and his wife Liz were having a congratulatory party for the two women in their home. And uh, Kim brought a video of the ceremony and Jay says, I'm sitting there and I'm looking at you and Mary involved in the management of this wedding. And Jay's a good friend and a, a fellow ally. Uh, and uh, I get a message like that from someone that was a mentor to me uh, saying that maybe I did the right thing. It keeps me going to working towards the future. And so that's kind of where I am. I, I've been fortunate, as I said, to work on legislative issues in Iowa and uh, was a big part of the Supreme Court decision and the team of lawyers and couples we took to testify and and then most recently I was more distant but a part of the the uh, the AIDS ruling and uh, so I I wouldn't want this to sound um, funny but I, I feel good about what I've been doing so. That's a blessing. That's a blessing. Thank yeah. you so much, Ted. Thank you.